you're listening to the SSPX podcast and welcome to episode 40 of the Crisis in the Church series. So we have 10 or so episodes left of this series. Over the last 39 episodes, we've seen the history of the crisis, the events leading up to Vatican II, the council itself, the aftermath of the council, and in the last set of episodes, we've seen the errors facing faithful Catholics as a result of all of this. Now we're going to get into the response to the crisis, the traditional Catholic movement. And we certainly can't talk about this movement without talking about the Society of St. Pius X. But before we start talking about the history, which we'll do next week in episode 41, we have to look at the mission, the reason. What are the guiding principles behind the SSPX? What led Archbishop Lefebvre to make certain decisions that he did about the organizational structure? He could have done a hundred different things. Why this? We're happy to welcome Father Stephen Reed to explain this for us right now on the SSPX Podcast. Welcome to the SSPX Podcast and our next episode on the Crisis in the Church series. And we're welcoming for the first time in this series, Father Stephen Reed. Hello, Father. How are you? Hello, Andrew. I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. Uh, you are joining us kind of at the at the tail end of this whole series. So for people who may not know uh, who you are or what you do, can we... Uh, can you give us a little bit of a insight as to who Father Reed is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, my name is Father Stephen Reed. Um, I was ordained in 2015 at Winona by uh, Bishop Tissi de Malaray. Um, I have been stationed in various places. Uh, it's my third assignment. I'm currently in St. Mary's, Kansas, um, and I work under Father Rutledge, and I am the principal of the girls' school here in St. Mary's. Fantastic. Well, thank you for taking the time to to chat with us. Uh, this is a little bit of a lull between school starting. Uh, we're recording right. this here mid-August, so uh, the rubber's going to hit the road pretty quick for you. But um, oh, yeah. oh yeah, thanks thanks anyway for taking the time away from your preparations. Yeah, um, we are starting kind of the next whole section of this crisis series with you, Father. Uh, we've been talking all the way from nominalism and Luther to modernism to the new theology to Vatican II to then some of the more modern issues set of Contism is Pope Benedict still the Pope. All of these issues have been, we've been talking about from the crisis and <clears throat> excuse me, we've been talking about it almost in terms of um, our society priests kind of being outsiders looking, looking at the, at the topics. Um, mm. Now we're going to look a little bit more introspectively um, at the society of St. Pius X itself. So for these next whole, uh, for this next whole section because we can't really talk about the crisis in the church without talking about the traditional movement. And we can't talk about the traditional movement without talking about the society of St. Pius X. Um, so all that to say, we are going to be talking with you today about the society of St. Pius X in terms of its mission. We're going to get into the history of the society of St. Pius X in our next episode, but let's take kind of a broad perspective of the SSPX. What's, the purpose? What's the reason? Can you give us some introduction as to the SSPX and the role in the in the crisis and the role that it plays in the Catholic Church as a whole? Right. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, there's no doubt that, um, you know, the SSPX uh, plays, I mean, certainly we see it playing a very important role um, in the in the life of the church, although it's, it's not very well known. Um, and that's often, you know, if we when we do come in contact with clergy or bishops, usually the response is, well, who are you? Like, where do you come from? What are you doing? Um, there's a lot of, a lot of people don't know what the SSPX is at all. Um, 
And I think even amongst our faithful, so those who attend our masses, you know, there's definitely an understanding that, okay, well, you know, the SSTX is, it provides a Latin mass, um, it provides the sacraments, uh, it's something I want, it's something I treasure. Um, but they often don't know sort of like really the, the particular, like really what is the SSPX? Like what is it, what is it for? Um, you know, there's no doubt that the SSPX is playing a role in, you know, obviously in defending and upholding, uh, you know, the sana doctrina, the, the, the healthy doctrine of the church, perennial doctrines of the church, and expressing that, of course, through the, the Latin Mass um, and everything else connected to that. But, um, you know, I, I think to really sum it up in just like one sentence, and th- I mean, this could be the whole podcast, uh, you know, what is the purpose of the SFTX? What's the point? Well, it's the priesthood um, and all that pertains to it. That's basically it. Um, well, and that's actually us, Father. We appreciate yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> yep. All right. I'm going to sign up now. Yeah. No, I mean, really, that's that's it. That's the whole thing. Um, and that's actually, you know, that's taken directly from the, the statutes of the society. So when we look at the mission of the Society of St. Pius X, it's about the priesthood. So we we can't talk about the mission of the Society of St. Pius X without looking at its founder, Archbishop Lefebvre. And again, we'll look at the history in a little bit more detail next episode. But right. Archbishop Lefebvre had this love of the priesthood. Um, where, why did he see this as the core principle? Why? What? What in his story? What in his history made it so that he saw this as kind of the linchpin for the survival of the traditional church? Yeah. Um, it's something that he himself spoke about um, at least you know, several occasions, and he wrote about it too. Uh, he talks about this dream that he had, and, and not necessarily you know a, you know sleeping and waking up dream, but like a a vision that he had um, in the at, really at a, a specific moment, you know, in time and place in the cathedral in Dakar, where he was apostolic delegate at the time. Um, he had this this vision for sort of establishing um, a society of priests or fraternity of priests um, who are faithful to the priesthood, their priesthood, um, who are all about being priests in the most authentic way possible. And so therefore, um, to the mass and to the, the doctrine that's necessarily um, a part of that and expressed through the mass and everything, of course, connected to that. Um, so that that's in, you know, um, it's probably around like the fifties. So this is, you know, middle of the 20th century, um, sort of in the midst of all of his duties and everything he's doing, he sort of has this, this idea. Um, this is what the church needs. Cause I think already at that time, he's already beginning to see, you know, things are starting to go downhill already, um, in different ways. So, um, that's sort of the very first um, moment that we, at least he later explains. Um, but then, of course, and he'll explain it, it develops over time. And as Arv already mentioned, he was the apostolic uh, vicar. Uh, he was appointed by um, Pius XII to represent the Vatican, essentially, um, in French-speaking Africa. So, you know, West Africa, Madagascar, those areas. Um, his assignment after the death of Pius XII, um, John the Twenty Third uh, removed him from that position 
um, and he was uh, made the Bishop of Toul, um, which is a, uh, a little teeny tiny diocese in France, um, where he was appointed just to be the bishop there of, of that diocese. And uh, in his time there, he uh, this is the, the early 60s, and so already, like, really the, the church is already starting to go downhill in a very noticeable way, uh, especially in Europe, you know, in France. And so he is sort of coming into this tiny, kind of impoverished diocese um, where things are kind of going downhill. Um, seminaries are, are emptying. I believe the seminary had been closed when he arrived. Um, there were, things were going downhill, and he saw it especially in the priests, especially the young priests. Um, priests who were sort of fresh out of the seminaries. Um, they... He, he saw that they, they didn't really seem to understand what they were about. Um, they didn't really seem mm-hmm. to understand their role. Um, they had been taught something that was different. And they were, at least as he described it, they, they were lost. They, they didn't really know. Um, they, they felt depressed, basically. Um, and he, he will describe stories of you know speaking to different young priests and encouraging them and you know, and different things. But uh, this also sort of sparks for him. He's been spent all this time in Africa and um, maybe a little, a little bit separated from what's going on in, in the church in Europe. And now he really sees it. It's like, oh, wow, this is a real problem. Um, and then, of course, um, so, of course, you know, we have to get into some history here. But um, his next assignment, and this is right on the cusp of the, uh, the Second Vatican Council, he's made superior general of his congregation, um, the, the Spiritans, or in English usually referred to as the Holy Ghost Fathers. Um, so and that is, I believe, in 1962, he's made Superior General of his congregation. And then, of course, he's, he's involved in you know, managing that and traveling all over the world. And, uh, of course, his, you know, his, his role is to you know, manage superiors and, and uh, you know, priests in the congregation, because it is a, it is a priestly congregation. Um, He's certainly, of course, also in the context of the Second Vatican Council, he's seeing what's going on in his own congregation. Um, and by the time you know, we get to the end of the Second Vatican Council, um, sort of the end of the 60s, late 60s, it was probably around like 1967, 68, he, um, you know, the congregation wants to modernize. The Second Vatican Council calls for a, an updating of religious congregations. And so, of course, the men in his congregation are like, okay, you know, we need to do this. We need to modernize. And they want to sit down and go, okay, we need to make all these changes. And there are two different minds here. Um, and eventually he realizes that, you know, he, nobody's going to, nobody's going to listen to him in his congregation. Um, and so he resigns. Um, he leaves uh, his post as superior general of the uh, Spiritans and he retires. Uh, he's about 63 years old at that time. It's, it's um, interesting to me, Father, and, and, and jump in if I'm interpreting this incorrectly, or maybe I'm putting too much emphasis or symbolism where it doesn't e- exist, but there's, there's really kind of three main parts in the life of Archbishop Lefebvre before the Society of St. Pius X, uh, and that is he's, he's in Africa and he's overseeing schools and seminaries, right, in, in French-speaking right. Africa. Right. And then he's overseeing right. the diocese of, of Toul, and then he's overseeing the the Holy Ghost Fathers. And in all of these roles, he is, in one way or another, managing other priests. He he has this 
this um, management capacity, I guess you could say in, in modern terms, mm-hmm. but the, probably this love of helping priests, of, of overseeing priests and making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. No, it's true. And um, in fact, so he was a, a parish priest in France for, I think, just about two years. His brother, his older brother, René, was a spiritan. Um, and he was sort of encouraging him, you know, come to Africa, join the congregation. Um, there's so much to do. And I think, you know, Marcel being, you know, being such a, you know, I mean, he was an energetic person. He, he was very generous. Um, anyone who reads his life will see that. Um, and then he's eventually sent to Africa. His first assignment is to, uh, is a seminary, um, in, in Gabon in Africa. Um, and so he's, you know, he takes on this very difficult, um, assignment training African priests, uh, because, of course, the focus already at that time is training a native clergy. Um, and that's sort of, it begins with that. Uh, but that's pretty much the tenor of his work throughout his entire life, really, at that point. Uh, whether it be seminaries, uh, later he would be um, head of his, or um, rector of the seminary in Morgon um, in France. Uh, that's after the Second World War. Um, and, of course, as bishop and later as apostolic vicar, um, really, his whole purpose was okay. Um, you know, train native clergy, and you know, place bishops because, of course, they're creating all these dioceses all over Africa. It's it's just exploding. There's conversions everywhere, um, and so it's like okay, well, we need to create all these dioceses. We need to establish bishops everywhere, and we need to ordain priests. Um, and so that is his work: is priests um, and bishops. That's that's what he does. So yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt. That's his. Uh, really from the beginning was his focus for sure. Yeah. So then, so then when he retires and, and again, we'll, we'll get into more history later, but we've seen the history of the second Vatican council. We've seen how all of these things changed and he was ready to just retire and kind of just sit back and say, I'm kind of done. I mean, he'd, he'd given right. a life to the church. Um, and then what happens in terms of his relationship to the priesthood? Well, certainly he was, he was no obscure prelate. He, he was well known, especially amongst uh, conservative Catholics and priests and prelates at the time. Um, and so, you know, he's getting a lot of encouragement and um, a lot of people are sort of reaching out to him, um, especially after his retirement. Um, you know, we can imagine they probably have very high hopes, um, but then he retires and they think, well, you know, there's this, you know, this bishop and he's 63 years old and, you know, he's this staunch traditionalist. And so I think he has a lot of, a lot of friends sort of encouraging him. And then of course he has actual seminarians who approach him, um, say, you know, please help us. You know, we're, uh, we're basically drowning in this, uh, you know, the sixties atmosphere of seminaries in Europe at the time, which was just horrendous. I worried a lot about the fact that it was now impossible for us to continue working and to have any certainty of reaching the priesthood, given the prevailing state of mind. I was led to ask the archbishop to do something for us. Well, at the beginning, he has said to me, I'll find you a bishop. And I remember having the audacity to say to him, but excellency, it's you that we want. He looked at me in amazement. And I myself was very much surprised by my having dared say such a thing to him because I was 19 years old and was in philosophy. And to say to a 63-year-old bishop, Excellency, it's you we want, was a little bit daring. But he said nothing. And then he said, I'll think about it. 
Yeah, so seminaries approach him, and so he says, well, I, I can't just abandon these young men. They're, they're coming to me begging to me to, to help them. So um, he, he'll found a house of studies for seminarians in, uh, near Freeburg. Um, so the, the university in Freeburg at the time, um, I believe, was run by, by the Dominicans, so certainly more Thomistic, and I think he, he trusted doctrinally um, what they were teaching, and he, he felt that would be a, a safe place for them. So basically the idea being that, okay, he would have a house for them to sort of just live a, um, you know, community life, a uh, life of prayer and study, and then, of course, going, traveling to the university to take their classes and then come back and, and live this, you know, sort of in this safe haven. Um, eventually, it becomes clear that that's not, it's not really feasible. Uh, it's not going to, it's not something that you can continue uh, not only because the classes themselves aren't quite as doctrinally sound as he had hoped, um, but uh, I think as well because there's just more interest, um, or at least he foresees more interest, perhaps. Um, and so it, it becomes clear that they, they need to open up a, a full seminary um, with its own professors, its own staff. Um, and uh, and so that that's what sort of sets off the whole, uh, really, the establishment of the society as a congregation. Um, and that's where he, he'll reach out to um, Bishop Charrier, his, uh, a friend of his uh, from his time in Africa. And uh, under that, that bishop, he would establish the Society of St. Pius X in his diocese. Um, and eventually it would, you know, you would have the establishment of the seminary in Cone. Um, but yeah, there's so much more that could be said about that. But yes, um, that, is, that is basically how it worked. And and how, how it came to, you know, really to have the SSPX as the SSPX right. uh, today in a nutshell, with its seminaries. Yeah. In a nutshell, that's, that's, that's kind of how he, how he started it. Uh, right. We can, we can see the work that he's done. We've, we've talked in, in brief about some of the work that he's done. Um, something that, that I, that I found interesting and, and Father Reed, you gave a talk uh, in St. Mary's last year. Um, for the 50th anniversary of this Society of St. Pius X. I think there were five lectures that were given in St. Mary's, and those are on YouTube on the uh, St. Mary's YouTube channel, the Assumption Chapel YouTube channel. I'd, and I'd That's recommend right. our listeners to go look those up. They're all very good. Um, but I was listening to your talk that you gave, and this is kind of based on that. Um, mm. You talked about the Spiritan origins, the origins of the Holy Ghost Fathers. And I've, I've read a lot about Archbishop Lefebvre. I've watched the documentary. I've read a lot of the history. I, I know all of this stuff, but I didn't, it, that was the first time I had seen the connection between the mission of the Holy Ghost Fathers, the mission of the Spiritans, and there's a lot of parallels there. So can you explain that a little bit for us, Father? Yeah, um, it's very interesting. Um, you know, if you really want to understand, if you want to understand Archbishop Lefebvre, uh, you, you do need to understand the Spiritan congregation. Um, so a little history there. Um, the the Spiritans, the Holy Ghost Fathers, were founded um, in 1703 um, by a, a young seminarian, um, Claude Poulard de Place. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but um, in 1703, he was studying under the Jesuits in Paris, and he he wanted to, to found a, a congregation for young seminarians for, you know, maybe less financially, um, you know, poor seminarians, um, to help them to, you know, to study and, and to be ordained. Um, and he himself would, four years later, he would be ordained in, in 1707. 
Um, and there will be a lot of a lot of young men, eventually priests, who join this group. Um, but interestingly, um, Claude Duplass died two years later. Um, mm. he, he became sick and, and he died very young. Um, but nonetheless, you know, the the congregation continued to grow and to flourish. Um, and it really, I would say, and it's something that even you know, if you look at any of the you know, even just like go on the website of the Spiritual Congregation, it, it's something they, they still insist on. This is the idea of sort of like reaching out to uh, poor and needy souls. Um, and that, I think, is where they, the Spiritual Congregation got its, its very missionary um, sort of uh, I don't know, character. And because they would, they would work through the, uh, the Foreign Mission Society in Paris. Um, and they would basically, you know, these, these priests would, would go off to these, these new missions as the French empire is expanding all throughout the world. Um, they're sort of following this and, uh, you know, converting and, and preaching and, and going, you know, mainly to Africa, but, but elsewhere as well. You know, there are spirits and houses all throughout the world. It's a worldwide congregation. Um, but interestingly, so the congregation grows and grows, but then the French revolution happens. Um, you know, you have 1789. And, uh, of course, it's, you know, persecution, chaos, and everyone is sent away. They're all dispersed. And in a way, it almost seems like a congregation is, is dead. It's done. Um, but they, they sort of come back together. Um, they reform. Um, by, the t- by the time the French Revolution happens, there was already 1,300 priests in the congregation. Um, they all are dispersed. Um, and... It seems like maybe perhaps it's, it's done, but it's in the middle of the 19th century, interestingly. Um, there's another character that's very important if you want to understand the Spiritans. It's Father Francis Lieberman, um, and he's sort of seen as sort of like the second founder. Uh, he himself had founded a, uh, a congregation, the Society of the Holy Heart of Mary, um, and he was asked by the Vatican to combine his congregation with the Spiritan congregation. I think they ended up being that they were just very similar. Um, and that was in 1848. So this is the middle of the 19th century. Um, and Father Francis Lieberman is an, another very interesting character as well. A, a Jewish convert um, became a priest. Um, but so he, he was sort of re-infused into the congregation, the sort of like this renewed spirit. Um, and that's where you really see it, the, the congregation growing rapidly. Um, and really take on this very, you know, missionary aspect. Um, and so by the, um, I would say by the time of Vatican II, I believe there's about 5,000 priests in this congregation. So it's among some of the largest mm-hmm. congregations in the church. It's, it's, it's a big deal. Um, and so I, uh, when I was kind of preparing that talk for the, the conference, I, I wanted to, to find sort of some of the like original statutes, sort of the original founding I guess, documents on the Spiritual Congregation. I, I stumbled on a, uh, a document. The, their, I don't believe they call them statutes, but it, it's like statutes. The, the rules or um, regulations of their congregation, their rule. Um, and so when it talks about, you know, what, what is their purpose, um, two things. It's, as I said, it's reaching out to um, souls most in need and abandoned souls. So I was getting this idea of mm-hmm. going out to maybe like poor countries or poor people and reaching out to them, bringing them the faith, sort of like snatching them from the fires of hell. Um, but then interestingly, the, the principle, that's the, the goal. 
But then the principal means by which they're going to accomplish this is community life. Um, and that's sort of uh, a very interesting aspect of sort of what the Spiritan congregation is, or at least was, um, that sort of distinguishes them perhaps maybe from other missionary congregations. Um, so yeah, reaching out to souls in need, sort of like missionary work, but then also doing it, having, you know, sort of creating this sort of community of priests, um, in these, you know, different missionary countries. Um, and that, that really sums up kind of like what the spirit time congregation is. Um, and that ultimately is going to be, you know, pretty foundational for, um, you know, what the, the society said by the 10th would eventually become. Um, and, and when you say so, that they're living in a, in a community life, that's, that's usually throughout church history. We see that much more in terms of monasteries, convents, you know, the, the right. professed religious organizations or, or groups, um, they are, they're the ones who live in these communities. Um, and throughout history, parish priests often sometimes lived alone. There would be one priest right. in one church and, and living in one place. And so there, throughout history, there's not really that community life, but this is something that's, that's pretty distinct with the Spiritans. Yeah. And I think it's actually because, especially because of their missionary work, they were going out to these, you know, very far flung regions sure. and in foreign countries, very harsh climates. Um, it's very easy for someone um, in that position to become discouraged um, or even sick or, um, you know, just the, it, it's, it's very difficult to continue that kind of work alone, you know, being a celibate man in the middle of the jungle by yourself. That's extremely right. difficult. <laughs> you can imagine. Um, right. So having other priests around you is, uh, is crucial. And I think, you know, especially in the past like year and a half, I think we probably see now more than ever, just how important it is for people not to be isolated. Um, you know, if we're, living separately, living alone, locking ourselves up, it, you know, it's really bad for us. We're not, you go that's not how crazy. God made us. You do, yeah. you lose your mind, you go nuts. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's that same idea. This is very just natural principle, but applied to, to the priesthood. Um, you know, a priest, definitely he forms a community with his, his sheep, his flock, um, his parish. In the past, the priest would have access to to other priests simply because the distance, um, you know, wasn't really so great. You, you'd be able to walk to the next town in, you know, a few minutes. Um, so even if you're in separate parishes that you can still have a certain, you know, a certain relations and community with the other priests in, in the area. Um, but in, you know, with the advent of, you know, modern transportation and the expansion of everything, it's, you know, there's just much more separation. Um, yeah. So you, you really need that. You need that. Priests need other priests. That, that, right. I, that is really important. Um, so, and I think so it's sort put of a, the thought of sorry. Archbishop of Fev. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, let's put a pin in that just for a second, and then let's transition over to the, the founding of the society. And in, and in terms of the statutes, uh, in your talk that you gave, uh, you mm -hmm. mentioned the statutes of the Society of St. Pius X are pretty small or pretty, uh, they're, they're not very long. Uh, some of the congregations yeah. are, yeah, are actually, really I big. Got them, um, got them right here. Here, here it is. There's a statue. Look how thin it is. <laughs> here it is. I mean, there's yeah. there's college football programs that have playbooks that are bigger than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so 
So the statues of the society, there's not much there. I mean, but what is there is is very much uh, very pithy. Um, yeah. How does how does the experiences that we've seen Archbishop Lefebvre have, both in terms of overseeing priests and, like you said, the spirit and uh, upbringing, training, you know, life? How does that transition over into the statutes of the society? Yeah. So um, maybe maybe I could just actually read for you just from sure from the statutes. Um, so yeah, there's no like you know don't go on Amazon, you know, looking for like the Kindle version of the. This is not a public document. It's not for like anyone to just buy and read. Uh, okay. So it is just for priests. Like we are given this when we enter the seminary, and we're expected to keep it and not distribute it. Um, so it's not a public document, but I think certainly we can read from certain sections, especially if we want to talk about what's the purpose of the society. Um, Father Pagliarani is going to be emailing you in just a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, just, just one, one little paragraph. So, okay. um, yeah. So, and it, it's actually something I've already said, but, um, maybe, well, maybe two paragraphs. Okay. Um, so the basically, so the purpose, so the title is the purpose of the society. Um, the society's purpose is the priesthood and all that pertains to it and nothing but what concerns it. That is, the priesthood, as our Lord Jesus Christ willed it when he said, do this for commemoration of me. It's the first paragraph. And then I just want to jump right to the second paragraph, which I think is important too. The society must therefore orient the priest towards and have him concretize in his daily life what is essentially his raison d'etre, his reason for being, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. With all that means, all that flows from it, and all that complements it. And that in you know in a summary is you know yeah that's that's what the society is about it's about priests and if you want priests and you want good healthy priests you need priests who are all about the mass which is what they're about it's you cannot have priests without the the holy sacrifice of the mass they're you can't separate them basically it's the idea um so and i think that that sort of goes into the importance of of the mass and you know why you know society priests will um, and certainly should emphasize the importance of the mass, making the mass sort of the center of our spirituality, um, and you know seeing it not just as like another thing that Catholics do, but like this is the center of the Catholic life. Everything that if you want to see the Catholic Church grow and blossom again, um, you need the holy sacrifice of the mass. And, it, and it's something I, I described it in the, the conference I gave. And I think it's sort of, if you wanted like an image of what that is, it's so, of course, the center is Jesus Christ. He has to be the center. Um, Jesus Christ is at the center. He's on the cross. It's Jesus Christ crucified, necessarily. Um, and Christ crucified, that is what the Mass is. It's sort of the unbloody um, sacrifice of our Lord happening again on the altar. So the Christ on the cross is at the center, which is really the essence of the Mass. Um, and the Mass is the reason for the priesthood, right? Priesthood and Mass are inseparable. And since the Mass is necessarily apostolic, um, it's not just a private prayer for, for me or, you know, for this little group. It's, it's, it's meant to, to preach in a way. Um, therefore, there will be parishes, there will be schools, there will be all these other apostolates that... Um, you know, the most, I would say the most visible aspect of 
what the society said Pius X is. And that, that's often what people see. You know, most people, their first experience is, okay, I walk into usually a mass center of the society of St. Pius X, and I see, you know, all these women in veils and babies everywhere and um, Gregorian chant maybe and Latin mass and a priest there who travels usually, maybe drives a few hours or flies in and says mass on the weekend for these these people. You know, that's what people see, but that that's actually just like sort of like the end of the, the whole like thing, right? Um, that's not like, I guess this is, that's the expression of what the society does, but it actually runs much deeper than that. I guess that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm trying to say. So you're, you're not, yeah. the, the society of St. Pius X does not exist to set up a bunch of mass centers saying the Latin mass everywhere. I mean, it, yeah, it right. does, but right. the, the whole reason, and, and this is something I learned some years ago and it kind of, it, it's one of those moments where you go, oh, you know, when, when you understand mm-hmm. it. Uh, the the reason for the Society of St. Pius X's existence is the preservation of the Catholic priesthood. Right. Then once you have that, then everything else kind of flows from that. Right. Am I kind of explaining it right? Probably oh, that's it. And it, simply, you know, but, you're obviously not going to have just, okay, we make priests and look at all these, look at these right. great priests. There they are. All right. Just look right. at them. You know, no, well, what's a priest? Well, a priest says he's a shepherd. He's He's, he's Christ. He's meant to be give Christ the souls. So he has right. to do things. You know, he has to preach. He has to um, he has to educate and baptize and do what priests do. So, right. um, but it's yeah, as I said, it's it is centered on on the mass, um, which is going to be as long as he's faithful to his mass, um, then you know, then he's you know he's going to live his priesthood authentically. That's kind of really what it comes down to. Yeah. Absolutely. And we talked about this a little bit before the the congregation of of priests that was part of that spiritan tradition and archbishop lefebvre uh, brought that tradition brought that experience that he saw into the society of saint pius x when he set up uh, the sspx those years ago Um, Mm -hmm. he wanted a strong emphasis on community life is that right no absolutely and that yeah that goes back to uh, the the regulations of, of the spiritans what what is their means by which they will accomplish their apostolate is community life. And, you know, I think maybe some of our faithful are probably familiar with this already, but, you know, if you, if you really want, like, if you want to see society priests, you want to be involved in the work of the society, uh, really this sort of like ideal place is going to be in what we call the priory. And that's just, that's just another name for the community where the priests live together, this, this community life. Um, in the spiritual congregation, the Spiritans took vows, so they poverty, chastity, and obedience. And of course, all priests, even secular priests, take certainly an implicit vow of, of chastity, and, and they promise obedience to their, their superior, the bishop, on the day of their ordination. Um, but one thing that Archbishop Lefebvre noticed, um, this is kind of an interesting detail, you know, he, he noticed that you know, it was often difficult for some of the Spiritan missionaries to do their work because of their vow of poverty. Um, you know, whether it be like building things or having bank accounts and such, um, they were often hind- actually hindered by that. And it's interesting because it sounds kind of progressive, but he, he wanted to sort of establish sort of a different arm of the Spiritans where you had priests who uh, were members of this congregation, but they didn't take the vow of poverty uh, precisely mm. for that purpose. Um, and that's, I mean, that's basically what society priests are. We are priests living in a community who do not take uh, religious vows. Um, so 
that that I would say is sort of like the one of the the key differences there, and it's something Archbishop Lefebvre had thought about and proposed, you know, many years before when he was involved in the Spiritan Congregation. Um, but yeah, it's it's community life, um, and really as long as priests are faithful to that, um, and you know, I think we can all as as priests or we we all have experienced that. Like if we are faithful to our community life, going to community exercises, community prayers, being involved in the community, um, you know, that communication with the superior, all the things that are involved in community life, which could be just a whole other series of episodes. But um, as long as the, the priest is doing that, um, he's going to be okay. He's going to be doing things right. And if he's straying, it's probably because he's not living that community life in some way or another. And that, that really, it, we know, we live it, like we see it every day. Like this is kind of the genius of Archbishop Lefebvre is like, this is what keeps us sane and stable and doing what we're supposed to do. Um, and then of course, if you understand community life and you know, that you have to sort of understand like the Benedictines and Western monasticism, um, it's liturgical, which means that like it's centered around the liturgy. You know, that's really what the Benedictines are all about. They're, they're a liturgical congregation, if you want to think of them in a way. Um, and so what is the liturgy? Well, it's the Mass. And then, of course, the Divine Office and everything that sort of flows from that. So if you're going to talk about community life, you are necessarily going to talk about, yes, people living together. But you're also necessarily going to talk about liturgy and necessarily, of course, the Mass. And then that comes right back to what we are talking about, where, you know, the Mass is the center of, of everything. Um, it's it's interesting. You often hear, um, and and there's a there's a lack of SSPX chapels throughout the United States and, and certainly throughout the world as well. Uh, and you mm-hmm. often hear uh, well-meaning people who are hungry for a a chapel to be set up somewhere, and they look at somewhere like St. Mary's that has more than a dozen priests. They look at somewhere like Phoenix that has five priests. They look at some you know all these all mm-hmm. these priories, and they're like, why do you need five priests here? Why do you need twelve, fourteen priests here? Why do you Spread them out, spread the wealth a little bit. But right. if 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 you've read, you know, the soul of the apostolate, if you've understood the fact that you have to have that interior life, that that first before doing these works, then you understand why that community life is so important, and that's why the society is kind of set up like like a hub. And then the priests travel. Well, isn't that a pain to travel every weekend? Yeah, but during the week, it's yeah. really important for you all to be together. Right. No. Exactly. That's it. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. So, you know, certainly, once again, there's that missionary aspect. Um, you know, we, sure. have, we have to travel out, just like I'm sure, you know, Archbishop Lefebvre and his priests had to go out into the bush. Um, well, we're not really going out into the bush. We're getting in the air-conditioned car and well, driving a couple depends hours. depends on but, where still, you're going, Father, but it, yeah. It's true, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and we do have priests in Africa and, and elsewhere, but the traveling yeah. is, I can't imagine. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, there's this missionary aspect, too, as well. Yeah, for sure. But once again, sort of coming back to that community, coming back to that that stability, that foundation. And in your talk, and and just to kind of close up, Father, you made a point in in your talk before about making kind of a parallel between what the Society of St. Pius X is doing and what those medieval monasteries were doing. You mentioned the the Benedictines and this Mm -hmm. this community life, uh, and I thought that was such an interesting point. And that, I mean, ultimately, if you know history, um, even just a, a little bit, you, you know that, you know, really Christendom um, was founded by these little communities of, well, really just Benedictines, um, monastics with their monasteries and their liturgy. And, of course, they, you know, 
all the sort of economics that has to go into sort of creating and um, keeping up a monastery, you have all these other people that sort of come and they sort of form this this sort of communities or villages, town around these monastic um, communities. Um, and really, during the throughout all the Dark Ages and the barbarian invasions and and all that, you it really it survives and it it grows and flourishes because of that. Um, and that that really is sort of foundational for you know really sort of the 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 pinnacle of Christendom and like you, know, you might say like the 13th century. Um, it reaches that point because of this those sort of little communities that began very small and you know, kept that faith and kept that culture alive and sort of gave birth to this, you know, this sort of uh, Catholic Western civilization, Christendom. Um, yeah. And also maybe just to add as well, um, and it's something I talked about in the um, the 50th anniversary talk, um, you know, I, I keep emphasizing, you know, the mass, the mass, the mass. Um, and how Benedictines are liturgical, it means that, you know, of course, their communities are centered around the, you know, the, uh, I forget what they call it, but the, the divine work, the, um, you know, the, the work of the, the prayer, you know, it's a liturgical prayer. Um, you know, the mass is crucial for what we do. It is really is our apostolate. It's the mass. Um, I think it was Archbishop Lefebvre said, you know, if a priest just saying his mass in the morning already accomplishes 80% of his apostolate just by offering that sacrifice to God the Father. Um, and that, you know, our attachment to the Trinitine Mass, and, I'm, you know, there's been podcasts on this already, but um, is, there's a reason for our attachment to the Trinitine Mass, doctrinally speaking, but also because of just what we do. Like, if we really are about the priesthood and about, you know, keeping that priesthood healthy, um you know, our attachment to the Trinity, right? It's not an aesthetic preference. It's not just because we like it more or it's more beautiful, even if, yeah, it obviously is. Um, yeah. But it it expresses something that's perennial. Um, the new mass is, I mean, it, it really is, it's sort of just imbued with the sort of like this kind of watered down spirit of, you know, late 20th century Christianity, um, a very specific time and place. And it's sort of stuck in that time. You know, if you want to talk about a liturgy being stuck in time, the, the, the Latin Mass is not stuck in time, not at all. It's it's stretching back thousands of years. The new Mass, though, it's, you know, you can't, how, how can something like that bear fruit? Um, so, of course, doctrinally speaking, that's really sort of the, the foundation of that. But um, it's, it's more than just a preference, really. Like, if we, if we don't have the traditional right, then, like, we can't do what we do, really. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, it, it really is quite crucial. Um, and Father Pagliarani, I think, explained that very well in his, his last letter about the uh, Traditionis Custodes of, of Pope Francis. He, you know, he hits on that perfectly. So, and of course, if anyone hasn't read that, of course, I encourage you to to read that that letter. It's it's really excellent. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, Father Reed, this has been this has been fascinating to to chat with you. I, I again appreciate your time, um, and and it is great to kind of understand. And again, history is one thing, but we wanted to have this episode first just to kind of get more into kind of the philosophy or the reason behind the Society of Saint Pius X and and kind of what motivated mm-hmm. Archbishop Lefebvre, um, and and that helped. Uh, I'm I'm going to throw I'm going to throw a question at you uh, that we haven't talked mm-hmm. about, but. If you could talk to Archbishop Lefebvre for a few minutes, what would you want to ask him 
or what would you want to discuss? Um, it's interesting because, you know, I've lived with priests who, who knew the archbishop, um, mm-hmm. you know, who were not only just talked to him once or twice, but like they were answering to him and, you know, he was their superior and, um, and they all, you know, it, they've all been clearly very marked by the man, you know, like it's, it's something where he made a, a huge impression on them, of course. Um, what would I ask Archbishop Lefebvre? Uh, it would be very interesting to get his take on what's going on right now. That would be fascinating mm-hmm. because the, I mean, it, the way the world is right now is like really so vastly different to, you know, the late eighties, early nineties when he passed away, things have changed, um, you know, <laughs> and what would he say now? What would be his, I mean, I, I, I think I could guess, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it would be fascinating just to hear like, you know, what, what his, uh, what his input would be on that. Um, yeah. I would love to hear that. Uh, yeah, of course it would be in the context of now. Um, yeah, his thoughts were on that for sure. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully he'd say, good job. Uh, I'm yeah, sure I hope he would. so. <laughs> I'm sure he would. Yeah. He well, Father Reed, yeah. thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it and uh, look forward yeah, to having you, you back on at some point in the future. Yeah. No, this is great. I am um, a, uh, not only am I, so today I'm, I'm on this podcast episode, but uh, I am an avid listener of this podcast. So, oh, very good. Um, I, I feel, I kind of feel like, you know, on the game show or like the person gets pulled out of the audience <laughs> and like, you know, hey, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm on here now. Oh, uh, there's, no, there's I, no suitcase full of money. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, no, I assign this as homework to my students. It's, it's great. I, I love how you're, you're doing this podcast. It's, it's excellent. Oh, great. So keep up the great, great work. It's, it's wonderful. So well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you all the priests for, for doing it. So until next time, thanks father. All right. Thank you. Andrew. Thank you for listening to and watching episode 40 of our crisis in the church series here on the SSPX podcast. Next week, we are happy to welcome our first non priest guest on this crisis series, Mr. James Vogel. He's the communications director for the Society of St. Pius X and over the last decade or so has given many conferences on the history of the society. So next week, we'll look at that history, which has some very interesting parallels to today that we should be able to learn from. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and to the SSPX News English YouTube channel so that you won't miss next week's episode or any of our future episodes. And if you have the ability to set up a monthly recurring donation of 5 or 10 or $20 on SSPXpodcast.com, it would help us immensely to complete this Crisis in the Church project. Until next week, thank you for listening, and God bless you.